Hello, and welcome back to Potter Revisited, episode 28. Today we are covering the Chamber of Secrets, chapter 10, The Rogue Bludger, or as we like to call it, Fragile Ego and Deep Delusions. We start the chapter off with, uh, obviously Lockhart is going to be the teacher that they're going to get to sign their permission slip for to get the book out of the restriction section. As Ron commented last chapter that someone would need to be really thick to sign it, enter Lockhart. And so Lockhart hasn't um, done anything, I guess, dangerous per se, with the Tons Against the Dark Arts class since the Pixies. So instead, he's just reading his book out loud and getting Harry to like re reenact it, which sounds like such a waste of time. I, it's a really good thing that they didn't have to do their exams at the end of this year because I feel like they didn't learn anything. Oh my god, they would have been so screwed. Yeah, I find, like, teachers who basically just read the textbook or just read slides they post online make me feel like there's no purpose in attending class. Yeah. One of the things I love is how Harry has always chosen to participate in Lockhart's ridiculous little drama exercises. And because they want something from him, Harry has to pretend to be enthusiastic. So he's, like, howling like a werewolf and, like... A, I love the foreshadowing of werewolves, because that obviously comes back into play in the next book. But just, like, Harry, who we all know isn't, like, look at me. Like, he doesn't try to be the center of attention at all times. It just sort of happens to him. So this is kind of, like... Also, he can't stand Lockhart in general. Yeah. It's his, like, least favorite context of things, but he's trying to be enthusiastic. And I almost kind of imagine it, like, when he takes the liquid luck and he seems a little almost drunk. I kind of picture that being Harry <laughs> trying to show enthusiasm for something he absolutely detests doing. Oh, yeah. I just, I can picture it really well. Yeah, I wonder if Lockhart kind of singles him out because he appreciates Harry because he feels like they're the same person with their fame or if he's doing it to embarrass Harry on purpose. Yeah, it's interesting. It could go either trying to make Harry look bad so he, Lockhart, looks cooler, or Lockhart could say, how prestigious would it be to be viewed as the mentor of Harry Potter? So maybe in his mind, he's like, I, as the most amazing wizard in the world, can teach this young up-and-comer some things and therefore somehow take credit for all of his future successes. So I'm going to, like, do everything I can to publicly show how connected we are so then I can casually take credit for things in the future. I feel like he could be playing that slow game. I also kind of love how the assignment he gives them at the end of class is to write a poem about something from the textbook or his book. But at first I was like, haha, that's so Lockhart. Like, write a poem about my hair. But then I was like, actually, that's a really effective learning method. Like, as a person who was more of a creative when it comes to learning than like a, a blatant memorizer, using information you heard in a different way, like creatively after it was just read to you or you saw it in a textbook, it's a really good way to like broaden your understanding while also getting a better chance at like being able to remember things. And it's actually like a really good homework assignment and like... It's very different compared to everything that they usually get assigned. Like essays, reports. Yeah, like a broader understanding of the concepts. I'm like, this is good. This is a really good assignment. And I'm sure they just like, the author probably was like, he'll assign something dumb and goofy. But I'm like, no, that's great. Well, speaking of Lockhart, I feel like the trio were really smart to pick Lockhart to sign it because while they give it to him, Hermione's just trying to like, I guess like logically explain like oh like we want this book it's in the restricted section but don't worry we're not gonna make it we just want to like learn about the theory but Lockhart is not even listening to her and he's like oh here's my here's my autograph like for the best student in the year it's, he's not I mean they they'd sort of put in more effort than they needed to to get him to sign something that's for sure 
Like, they could have just forged it. It's not like every one of them doesn't have six copies of his autograph now from, like, having to buy all those books. Point is, they could have forged a signature and he wouldn't have remembered if he'd signed it. They could have just held paper in front of him and he would have signed it. Hermione tried too hard. Yeah. He gets himself into these situations. Yeah, she overestimates him. Well, Hermione respects teachers and she has a crush on Gildor, so, like, I feel like if it's, like, her plan's good if it was any other teacher, but because it's Lockhart, like, he doesn't care. And even when Ron and, like, Harry say that he's an idiot at, when they leave the classroom, she's, like, defending him. So I don't know if that's, like, just her crush or just, like, the way she's wired at this point, but she's just, like, refusing to see, like, how awful Gilderoy is at this point. I really think, like, her entire fundamental understanding and, like, feelings of, like, safety and comprehension of how the Wizarding World works would sort of crumple at this point, if she was forced to come to the terms with the fact that someone that was hired by their school and put in charge of their safety and learning is this much of a complete idiot and everyone knows it. Like, I think she's just not ready to, like, be that much in danger. Her initial crush on him was because he was, according to the books, very handsome. But then she got to a place where she's like, I need to, like, build a psychological bubble around him. Otherwise, I'm going to realize what he is and have a psychological breakdown. So maybe, like, her crush is almost a result of how horrible he is. Like, she's just, like, trying to justify everything he does to herself. So she's developed this crush from telling herself, no, no, he's smart and he's talented and he's good. Oh, he's he's smart and he's talented and he's good. I feel it's also she just doesn't want to see teachers as being bad. Like, even though she doesn't really like Snape, like, she won't say anything bad about him because he's a teacher and he's an authority figure and she respects that. Like, her whole world would crumble apart. She's just not ready to go there yet. She's, I think she's protecting her own psychological sense of, like, comfort. Yeah. By not acknowledging that he's an absolute idiot. She doesn't really get ready to burn things down until, like, Goblet of Fire, when she kind of, like, takes a stand for things that aren't right. She's like, you know what? Fuck this. (laughs) But... At this point, she's very much like, this, this, like, I can't go against, like, if Dumbledore would never hire someone that wasn't, like, a proper teacher. Of course not. I mean, Dumbledore's top priority is the safety of all of the students at Hogwarts. All of them. Of course. Mm -hmm. Lead into the fact that the Quidditch game's coming up and Lockhart has some tips for Harry. Oh, Lord. (laughs) Yeah. Gilderoy Lockhart sitting there calling Harry less able at Quidditch. Drives me nuts. He's definitely one of those people who sees everything as a competition. And like, Gilderoy Lockhart doesn't just see things that particularly pertain directly to him as a competition. Like, it's not like a who wrote the most books competition. If anyone excels at anything, he needs to like, make it a competition and do no work and just verbally slide himself on top, sort of. It's so fragile, his self-esteem, or it's so deep, his delusion. That he thinks he's the best at, like, everything. And it's just so intolerable. And, like, Quidditch is Harry's go-to thing. Like, that's the thing he knows he's good at and he's passionate about. And, like, it really helps Harry develop as a person having Quidditch and being good at it. And I think, like, as a person who knows what it's like to, like, maybe put too much of your self-esteem into sort of one basket or one, like, facet of your personality, I think it would it would really have a negative impact on me if I were in that position and he said something like that to me about one of my, like, higher valued traits or skill sets, I'd be like, oh my gosh, if he's that much better than me, but he doesn't even do it really, and he decided not to do it professionally, but he's that much better than me, how bad am I? Thankfully, Harry's able to see through, like, fake people. Yeah. At 12, I think I'd start crying. I bet, but I try so hard at Quidditch. 
So they get the slip signed by Lockhart and they go off to the library to pick up their book. Yeah, it's a, I have a lot of concerns with this because like I've taken out books from the library and I've also like gone to the library and wanted to take out a textbook and with certain books, you're not allowed to take them out of the library. So like you have to like, if you have a spare period, you can go to the library and read the textbook and take notes, but you can't bring it home with you. And that's just like normal textbooks that they know would be very high in demand. So I can't imagine how the rules for restricted section books are just, this thing gives Hermione Granger permission to have this book, so there you go, Hermione Granger, take it with you out of the library into the Gryffindor common room where anyone could access it now. Like, to me, the permission slip is for Hermione Granger, so it should only be permittable in situations where they know only Hermione Granger is reading it. It just seems like a poor process, and there should really be better procedures in place. Especially given, like, their age, too. Like, they're 12 years old. This is a really dark book. And, like, I feel like it's weird that they're allowed to leave the library with it if all they're saying that they want it for is, like, background research. I feel like it makes sense for maybe seventh years to be able to take restriction section books out because they're studying for their newts and stuff. But I feel like anyone, like, especially anyone younger than, like, 14 shouldn't just be given, like these like dark and maybe like rare books just to like you know go do whatever they want with yeah even that like beyond the content of the book the physical book itself sounds like it's very old and probably very valuable so that too is like here take this expensive probably rare valuable thing yeah it's just very confusing because yeah, Madame Pence, like, definitely knows they're up to something because they're acting really suspicious. And she's, like, holding up their slip to the light to see if it's forged. And, like, she just seems very shifty of them. But I feel like she's a librarian. I don't know if she's, like, a witch or not. And she probably just, like, I don't know, doesn't have time to, like, be double-checking about all these things. But I, I would think if it was any other teacher, it'd be like, okay, they want this book? That's a red flag. Yeah. I think that she probably is very protective of the books in the library, so she's probably extra scrutinizing it because she's like, these are value... Like, she probably sees the physical as well as knowledge value of the book. So she's like, are we sure this permission slip is real? I don't want to have these books damaged. You know what I mean? And she probably also kind of wants to see which professors are allowing it because in my mind she's very protective of the books I don't know if that's canon but in my mind she's like she loves them and they're her passion so when she finds out teachers are writing out notes for like second years to take out special volumes she wants to quietly judge the teacher who decided that was a good idea like in my mind she wants to be like oh Lockhart, that makes sense, you know? It definitely could be, like, an idea to, like, if, like, a, one teacher in particularly is, like, letting more students take out books than other teachers, maybe that'd be, like, a concern. Especially, like, also maybe she wants to compare the book type to the teacher's area, uh, like, d discipline of teaching. She might be more scrutinizing it because Gilderoy isn't the potions master and it's a book on potions. So she's kind of trying to logic in her brain, like, what did they learn in Defense Against the Dark Arts that requires this textbook? Yeah, it's all very, very strange. It doesn't really seem like it's based off any kind of proper, like, a universe idea or have, like, you usually take out books, but... Yeah, it just doesn't seem right to me. I don't like it. <laughs> not a fan, not a fan. Well, the trio 
get the book, and of course, not suspicious at all, they rush off to Moaning Myrtle's bathroom is where they're gonna concoct their potion, which is just... Boot boot, let's bring the rare, unique, probably very expensive book into a old bathroom. And Hermione's going through the potion and kind of like all the things that they'll need to like steal because it's not available to them, and Harry and Ron are kind of like backing up being like, that's like really dangerous like we could get in trouble again and probably get expelled this time and Hermione gets like really offended and I just find it really funny that like Hermione really has to be pushed to break the rules by Harry and Ron but when she kind of commits to it if they like go they go back on their word she gets really upset about it and we kind of talked about it a lot in this podcast but Hermione has like a really big dark side that like when she goes bad she goes like all the way bad so this is like one of the moments where like she's committed to breaking the rules for the greater good and she's like you want people to get attacked you want the schools to be like terrible guilting them back into it yeah I feel like Ron and Harry are always fully all in for like the theory of something that's rule breaking like they're like absolutely we need to know the thing let's do whatever it takes to know the thing but like sometimes the practicality isn't exactly what they desire because obviously they hunger for learning new things and finding out secrets but like as soon as it's like the potion's kind of gross and we need a tiny piece of the Slytherins and like the practicality of it they're like "Mm, like we like to know things but we also don't like to eat hair or toenails from Slytherins I feel like Hermione what always thinks things through ahead of time so if she decides we're gonna get the information from draco she's already come to terms with the options of how to do it and the intricacies and accepted that she's willing to do all those things and i think ron and harry just don't think it through they're like we're gonna get the thing i see the end goal we're gonna go there and they just have no cognitive understanding of that there's steps between here and there that they're going to have to take it. Yeah, out of all the Gryffindors, Hermione probably thinks things through a bit more than Harry and Ron, as we see throughout a lot of their shenanigans in the series, that she's always the one that's kind of like, wait, let's think about this, let's plan it out. And they're just like, okay, nope, we're going from A to Z. Yeah, thank goodness they have Hermione. What would they do without her? Die. <laughs> In book one. Well, moving on. Quidditch is coming up. The game's against Slytherin and Harry's nervous because the Slytherin team obviously have new and faster rooms, but also because he's worried about Oliver's potential reaction if they lose the game. And it just kind of shows, like, I get that Oliver is, like, all about Quidditch and the game and the sports his life, but, like, Harry's a kid and just, like, I feel always feel bad for kids that, like, enjoy sports and are really good at them, but there's usually, like, a parent or a coach or someone that kind of, like puts so much pressure on them that it's not fun anymore and it kind of feels like Harry's oh you mean like parents punching each other drunk at like six-year-old hockey games at local small town arenas because their kids not getting enough ice time yep we sound so Canadian right now yeah I was about to say sorry if we got to Canada for you there (laughs) yeah I think that's uh stressful for Harry and for everyone but what I do love bless his heart Fred Weasley for trying to lighten the mood and like sort of reduce the pressure on Harry by like changing the vibe. Like, I I know everyone likes the Weasley twins, but I feel like they contribute so much just by like changing the vibe. (laughs) Like their mood adjusting abilities are great. I just feel like Fred and George are really like people people and they're really able to pick up on like that kind of energy and cues, especially they're really good on a team as well. Like they, they themselves are a team and I think they're really able to like kind of boost morale and everything because like Oliver's obviously he's in charge but like they're the ones that are kind of like making sure all the team members are okay and everyone's still having a good time. They're very much intuitive extroverts I would say like they 
they have a lot to put out, but they can also absorb what's around them and, like, use that information, which is not necessarily a skill of most people in that age group. Especially since Oliver's pep talk is basically, get the snitch or die trying. Literally. Can we talk about that for a minute? Oliver Wood telling Harry Potter, who we don't know yet, but is the chosen one. The only one who can kill Voldemort. You know, and we'll find out at some point. Oliver Wood's like, you know what? If you have to die for us to win this game. So if Voldemort has to take over and slaughter all the Muggleborns and all the Muggles in order for me to win this Quidditch game... We'll just have to accept that, won't we? Yep. Oh, man. I hope Oliver Wood is in therapy. I hope he's doing okay. So the Quidditch game starts, and as soon as Harry is up in the air, the Bludger is, like, making an eye for him and keeps following him around, and the Weasley twins are doing their best to defend him. But it's very obvious that the Bludger is chasing him, and it's only following him, and it's been fixed. Clearly, yeah. There's some evil jinxes going on. And... Harry, again, to me it seems a little weird that no one else, like, seems to be aware that this is happening. Yeah, that's my thought, too. Like, Fred and George noticed, but that's, like, their job. And I get that um, maybe people are watching, like, the chasers and, like, the goals. Yeah. And Mad- But I feel like Madam Hooch should be kind of aware of, like, everything that's going on in the game. Like, as the ref, it's kind of her job. And then even, like, whoever's announcing, you gotta think whoever announcing doesn't just follow the quaffle the whole time. So every once in a while, he's probably like... Harry's doing some, like, really crazy moves, too. Like, because bludgers are... He says they're heavy, so they can't move as fast. So he's, like, doing with all these flips, and he's, like, twirling around, making the shop corners. So I feel like people would notice that. Yeah, like, what the heck is Harry Potter doing out there? And even, like, he's Harry Potter, so on average he's gonna have more eyes on him than a general person. You know what I mean? Like, because he's Harry Potter and that's just the way his life has to be. So it seems pretty weird that no one else noticed it. Like, by the time they pull call timeout, Madame Hooch should either know or someone should have mentioned it to her. Been like, hey. Yeah, I don't get why they didn't tell Madame Hooch. Like, Harry, because, like, basically everyone's telling him, like, oh, you gotta, like, tell, we need to tell Madame Hooch that the litter's been fixed. And then Harry's like, oh, no, because then we'll forfeit the game. I just, like, if it's an issue with safety, I don't think that's a real forfeit. Yeah, I don't know, like, how that works. Maybe it's, like, a rule or something. Like, you have to, the game has to end immediately if you think there's something wrong and it goes to the team that didn't end it. Or maybe, like, that's just a possibility. Like, if you say it's fixed and you stop and they try and prove it, but it's disproven, like, oh, no, it wasn't fixed, then you lose the game and Harry isn't willing to take the risk that it can be covered up. Like, that would make more sense to me. Yeah, Harry basically says that he he rather, like, die than forfeit to Slytherin. And the whole, I just love the whole team ganging up on Oliver. Like, even friend George, who don't generally get angry. They're, yeah, they're going after Wood for putting all that pressure on Harry. They're scolding him quite aggressively. Like, they turn into their mother a little bit. They're like, look what you've done. You said this to him and now he doesn't realize how the value of his life is important and he's yes. totally misjudging the value <laughs> of the game and you're a bad influence. Like, entirely their mother. But uh, Woods obviously does not care because he agrees with Harry and he's like, okay, I'll leave Harry alone to die. Let's go play Quidditch. Yeah, he's like, ride or die! <laughs> so Harry's, like, still zooming around trying to avoid the bludger. And Malfoy kind of teases him about joining the ballet and, like, doing all these crazy moves to avoid the bludger. And I'm like, is Malfoy, like, he doesn't even seem to be, like, playing. Like, he's just watching Harry and teasing him. So it just feels like the whole reason he joined the team was just to, like, one-up Harry at Quidditch. Because he's not even doing his job. Yeah, I think maybe Draco kind of knows Harry's probably a better seeker than him. So he's staying with Harry because he knows Harry's more likely to spot the snitch 
And then knowing he's faster, he can just beat Harry in a race to the direction Harry's going. Like, I feel like if you know the other guy has better eyes than you, it makes more sense. It Like, it doesn't seem like a terrible strategy for Draco. And especially with the thing after Harry. Yeah, I just feel like he probably joined the team for the wrong reasons. Like, it definitely just seems like attention. Oh, absolutely. I think so. Like, because he didn't try out because he didn't have the self-esteem to, like, know that he's a good flyer. So he got his dad to buy his way into the team. And it just feels like he didn't join to actually play the game. He just wants people to think he's cool and his dad to think he's cool for being on the team. And to, like, be good at something. But, I mean, I sort of understand that. Like, when people say you're doing it for attention, like, it means someone isn't getting enough attention, and sometimes that means they're being neglected. And I think maybe with Draco, he wants to be on the Quidditch team because he wants to be seen as impressive, because he doesn't feel impressive. He feels mediocre. You know, he feels like he's not good enough. He feels like he's not living up to expectations. So even if he's on the team for not just the love of Quidditch, he's sort of just trying to find ways to, like, please people and live up to expectations. And I do feel like he's a dick. I don't like him, but I do feel a little bad for him with how how his relationships with grown-ups are, sort of, and how that plays into, like, his sense of self. Yeah, sometimes, and, like, I know, I know how Draco is in the earlier books, but sometimes it's hard to feel bad for him when he's such a shit. He's such a shit. But, like, we, we do know there's more to him later on, but, like, at this moment, I'm just, like, he's just, like, not there for the right reasons, and it's annoying. Yeah, Absolutely. Okay, so we need to move on. After Harry catches the snitch and he doesn't die. Doesn't die. Kind of. <laughs> Blessing. But this next part, it's scary. Like, if I actually think about it, like, I'm frightened and I'm uncomfortable. Because Harry is laying on the ground, his arm is broken, and Lockhart's coming over like, oh, I'm going to fix it, Wando. And Harry's like, no. Not you. No. I'm going to go to the hospital wing. Please don't. And Lockhart's like, no, no, he's being ridiculous. I'm going to fix this. And everyone in the vicinity knows Lockhart's an idiot. Harry is trying to stop Lockhart from doing this thing to him, some sort of spell, without Harry's consent. And they all just sit there and let Lockhart do it. Like, Harry in that moment is in pain. He's on the ground. He has a limited amount of opportunities to do anything for himself. He had just passed out, too. Like, he only had just regained consciousness. Yeah, he. there's nothing he can do. And everyone lets this happen. And to me, that's so disgusting because I'm a big fan of like a bodily autonomy. You know what I mean? Like if Harry were completely unconscious and like someone needed to do a counter curse on him or something like teachers, I get that, you know, he's not capable of consenting to something. And then the teachers are like, okay, well, this is the regular like spell we use to fix this. So we're going to do that. Or this is the normal procedure. Like, fine. But he, he's conscious and he says, no, don't do this to me. And everyone there, including the teachers, knows Lockhart is useless. Well, like, most people have their reasons for thinking Lockhart's not a great teacher. But at the time, like, it's just students and Lockhart. So, like, it's just more like, I guess most students wouldn't feel comfortable saying, like, no to a teacher. They should have. It makes me, I'm so stressed and scared. Like, I'm scared when I put myself in Harry's position. I'm so uncomfortable with it. Like, I'm like, imagine being there, like, knowing this person is only going to make it worse. Saying, no, don't. Please don't. And nobody, like, tries to help you. And I, like... It stresses me out so much. And I'm like, 100% Lockhart should just go to prison. Harry said no, right? Lockhart's job is not to heal. That's not what he signed up for. It's not like he's like, oh, I'm the person who heals. No, that's not what his job is. And he does it to Harry anyway. And like, hurts him, harms him. Harry has to spend hours in pain in the hospital wing. And this whole seems very negligent. Yeah, I feel like it goes against 
protocol because most schools, at least boarding schools, would have a nurse. Like the protocol would be any injuries have to go to the nurse because in most schools, even public schools, like you're not supposed to do anything for injuries if you don't have medical training because it could just be a lawsuit. Yeah, absolutely. So I just feel like it goes against protocol because Gilderoy... We don't know if Gildory has medical training, which he obviously doesn't. And I just feel like if Harry had parents or guardians that cared about him, they could, like, sue him for, like, medical damage. Harry has money. Harry should have sued him anyway. Like, immediately afterwards. Been like, I have money. Dear Mr. Weasley, please locate me a lawyer. If Dumbledore actually, like, you know, cared about his students and their mental and physical well-being, like, this obviously would have been, like, a huge red flag, like, a teacher. It's even the fact that, like, he did it in front of, like students like he obviously he messed up really bad like if you're gonna do something you better make sure you know how to do it like any other teacher probably could have mended harry's arm but they know that he's supposed to go to madame prumpy because she has the she has the expertise and she's that's what she's there for and it just feels like yeah he he's so deluded that like he's doing these big things in front of an audience and he always does them wrong and it doesn't make him look good it makes him look bad but he still does it the whole book his delusion is dangerous and at this point it's been proven he is so deluded into thinking he's capable of everything that he's now injured a student and to me there's no reason why he won't do it again it couldn't it could be more serious next time and he's just lucky that it was re- irreversible because what if it, it was it was irreversible like he only disappeared the bones trying to mend it but like he could have done like he could have got rid of the whole limb or something that Madame Pumphrey couldn't fix and then it's like what's gonna happen now yeah ab- absolutely I definitely think that uh and I definitely think if Harry had parents that were alive they would have questions because I'm assuming I mean this is Hogwarts but I'm assuming that if your kid gets injured at school that you should hear about it so Harry could be like lol mom I got my arm broken and then the teacher made my bones disappear isn't that hilarious and then Lily Potter would be like are you kidding me I think like when I read this when I was younger I mean, I didn't really, I was like, oh, wow, that's gross. His bone is gone. And I didn't think about, like, the consent issues and, like, the safety issues and, like, the deeper struggles here. And I was, like, reading it this time, I was kind of shocked by how uncomfortable and nervous and, like, how it made me feel. I don't know if it's just, like, today's day and age where, like, bodily autonomy for women is a big issue or whatever. Because, like... Nobody does anything to me without my consent, nah. Especially, I think, as you're older, you've been in more, like, medical situations where, like, the idea of being in a vulnerable, like, situation where you couldn't really, like, you needed to rely on someone, but the person there was, like, not someone you wanted. It just, like, brings up a whole bunch of issues. But as a kid, like, you don't really have to deal with that because adults generally are there to help you. Yeah, it's just, it makes me so uncomfortable. It stresses me out so much there in public, saying no, please don't. And just having it happen to you anyway. Yeah, and they definitely play it as, like, a gag in the movies, which it, it is funny, but, like, yeah, just reading it in the book, it's definitely a bit more, like... Horrifying. Like, I'm deeply, deeply uncomfortable with it. Well, they get Harry up to the hospital wing, and Madame Pumphrey is not happy, understandably. Well, yeah. I really get the idea that she doesn't really like how Dumbledore runs the school, because she's always complaining about, like, things that aren't done right, and... I 100% get it. I don't think Dumbledore cares. Yeah. She full on, like, refers to Gilderoy as being inept. Well, she says teachers at that school are inept. You know? And yeah. Correct. Friggin' correct. Gilderoy is useless and dangerous. But anyone who let him point a wand at Harry Potter is negligent and inept. I feel like, yeah, because she's very upset about it. And I just feel like this would definitely be something you would want to bring up to, like, the person in charge because it's one thing being incompetent as a teacher where the kids aren't learning but it's another thing completely that they're causing medical like 
issues to students because that if like this is a normal place parents would be suing left and right absolutely like he should be in jail a hundred percent if this were real life like but obviously we know that dumbledore doesn't care so it's kind of like if you were a kid in primary school and you got a sliver playing on like a, a wooden play structure or like on a bench and your teacher comes out and they're like oh you got a sliver let me get that out for you and then they pull out a machete and chop off your arm <laughs> that's quite the that's, that's kind of the equivalent I, yeah, I feel bad for Madame Pomfrey having to put up with this shit because you know Dumbledore doesn't care. And it's like... Yeah, we know we, she puts up with a lot. I feel like every year Harry's always in the hospital where his friends are and she just has to be thinking to herself, like, what the heck is this the headmaster doing? I'm sorry. This redheaded kid is concussed because he fell off a giant horse in a giant enchanted chet set in the basement after getting past a three-headed dog. I have questions as the medical professional on the scene about... How and why I need to do this because if you just had done none of that, this wouldn't be needed. Like she's yeah, she's she probably sees a lot of bullshit and she's just like ugh, Dumbledore. So Harry has to spend the night, and as like they're getting him changed into his pajamas, um, Ron's just kind of like ragging off on Lockhart and like kind of calling out Hermione for still defending him, and she still is. But uh, we find out um from the Quidditch team that Malfoy was getting like roomed out by Flint. And it just made me kind of happy because it's what he deserves because Flint, although he's, like, not a great kid, like, he probably takes, like, the team very seriously, like, Oliver and, like, being shown up after getting all these new brooms and all, like, the shit they were saying. Like, it's probably, like, not a great look. So basically, Malfoy gets a a little bit of karma. It's the exact opposite of what he wanted. He wanted very public displays of himself being impressive, and instead he looks like a total idiot. It was right next to his head, and he didn't even see it. Then later in the night, we have Dobby creeping up on Harry and sponging his head and being creepy. (laughs) So in this little bit, Dobby gets exposed for basically trying to kill Harry. He finds out that Dobby stopped him from getting on the train on the platform, and Dobby sent the bludger out, and... It's a, it's a miracle Harry's still alive at this point. Between Oliver and Dobby. Harry's like, wow, you just keep trying to kill me. To keep me from dying. What amazing logic. His intentions. Like, Dobby has very good intentions and then very terrible practical attempts. Yeah. Yeah, totally, totally different. Yeah, he didn't want to kill Harry. He just wanted to send him home in pieces. Completely different. So I was reading the punishments Dobby gave himself, and he talks about that when he heard Harry was back at school, he burnt his master's dinner, and then he got, like, this flogging, and it was just like, Jesus, this is, like... Awful. And it's just kind of played off as, like, oh, whatever, he he wasn't supposed to do that, so he got punished or whatever, but it's just kind of like... Hold on, he was beaten. Like, it's horrible. Yeah. The fact that Harry is the main character who we're supposed to, like, emotionally be able to rely on doesn't immediately be, like oh fuck is kind of i mean he kind of gets there later but like i feel like a better response i just feel like harry probably has trauma so like i know we know harry was kind of like beaten up by the dursley so i feel like someone else being also gotten beaten up by the persons they were living with he's just like oh yeah same okay so you think it's like the internalized acceptance of abuse makes it seem less okay yeah i get that Jumping into the house elves, like, Dobby kind of explains, like, house elves and, like, how they kind of work, and he explains that he wears his, like, pillowcase because, um, until he receives clothes from his masters, he's, like, tied to them and he can't leave. It's only when he gets clothes that he's, like, freed from that. And I'm just, like, the whole concept of it is just, it doesn't really click for me anymore. Like, we do that it's clothes and everything. Like, we know that Dobby does, like, 
most of the chores for the Malfoys. So, like, I just feel like it'd be way too commonplace for him to, like, handle clothes because he probably does the laundry and he probably, like, does things that are similar to that, like, tidying up spaces and stuff. And, like, wouldn't he come into contact with clothes that way? And, like, why clothes? Like, what does that represent? It's a weird way to do it just because, like, even if they, like, throw their clothes in a laundry bin and then he goes and collects the laundry bin, they didn't give it to him. He's picking it up. So I guess that wouldn't count as freeing. But it's also something you'd have to be conscious about all the time to make sure you don't accidentally give them clothes. Just, like, passing something to them, you know? Like, I think it doesn't seem like the most convenient or practical sort of method to have used. But I kind of understand like how some of the meanings behind clothing could make sense for like what they want to express sort of. Cause like to me, clothing is often seen as like A, a sign of status or B, a way to express yourself. And I feel like forcing someone to wear something that's like just a monotonous, a little, just like a boring rag takes away A, a lot of like their individuality, which sort of like just squishes their sense of self, basically. You can't express yourself because you get to have no self. You are no one, you are nothing. And that's what not letting them pick their own clothes is, sort of. It's like, not only do you need to understand that you're a low status, but you're a low status and you're you're nobody to us. You don't have get a, you don't have a personality as far as we're concerned. You don't have your own interests, your own opinions. It's like, it's just a huge step of dehumanizing, I would say. The fact that it's clothes. Yeah, I guess I can see that. I just feel like the concept, like, of being clothes makes sense, but it's just, like, the logistics of it doesn't quite make sense. Yeah, the logistics are impractical. Like, the, the metaphor of it all is there, and then the logistics are kind of floppy. Dobby lets slip that the Chamber of Secrets has been opened before, and now Harry's, like super invested and he's like you gotta tell me who it is but Dobby refuses and Dobby just wants Harry to go home and leave Hogwarts and like Harry's confused because he's not muggle-born and then he mentions that he can't leave because his friend's muggle-born and he doesn't want anything to happen to her and I wonder if this kind of kind of foreshadowing Hermione being attacked later in the series since they make a big deal about that it's attacking Muggleborns, and Harry's referenced that Hermione's his friend and she's Muggleborn a lot in this book. So it feels like it's kind of setting up for the fact that Hermione's Muggleborn and this is attacking the Muggleborns, so Hermione's getting attacked. It's also just like a smart move on the on the part of like the entity that is Tom Myrtle's soul fraction. Because like the Harry, Hermione, and Ron are the people that are looking into it, and Hermione is the smart one. So like even though like, it, she's just a good choice. Like, if I were sitting there and being like, okay, something bad's attacking Muggleborns, Hermione's going first because she's the most dangerous. One of the most dangerous, at least. You know what I mean? We don't know a lot about, like, Muggleborns in, in earlier years at Hogwarts. There's probably some brilliant ones there. But Hermione's dangerous, you know? Yeah, especially when she's being bad. Yeah, and then you're really, like, minimizing what Harry and Ron are capable of when you're taking Hermione out of the picture. Yeah, I think, I think especially them taking Hermione out in this book is actually really smart because it really shows, like, the bond the trio have because I feel like Harry and Ron are, are calling Hermione their friend in this book a lot and it really says to, like, how their relationship has changed from the first book where, like, they came, became friends for later on but, like, it, I don't think it was as strong as Harry and Ron's friendship but I think after this they're really bonded as, like, a trio. Like, Hermione is an essential part of, like, their friendship group. Yeah, you never know how much... You need something until it goes away. They're like, oh, we're not competent without her. It's very hard to function. 
Oops. So Dobby ends up leaving because he hears someone coming, and McGonagall and and McGonagall and Dumbledore are carrying in Colin Creevy, who was found petrified near the hospital wing, and it's implied that he is coming to visit Harry with a bowl of grapes. I mean, grapes. I have so many concerns about Colin Creevy. <laughs> First of all, why are you like at this point in the year? Okay, he should stop taking pictures of people's most embarrassing and painful moments. That's just a dick move. Second of all, grapes. Yeah. I don't know, man. I was really confused reading this part because it is said that um, McGonagall... Dumbledore says that um, to Madame Pumphrey that McGonagall found Colin. But then, like, basically the next sentence, McGonagall says, Oh, thank goodness Dumbledore was out getting a hot chocolate or else what what would have happened? Implying that Dumbledore is the one that found him. So I'm like, who who found him? Is that is that really how it... How is is that exactly how it went? Maybe Dumbledore. Maybe she was on the floor trying to see what was up with the student's corpse or body or this Colin Creevy on the ground, and Dumbledore walked by with his hot chocolate, and she's like, "Oh, good, it's Dumbledore." Yeah, I could see, I could see Dumbledore finding him and then calling Minerva, and she's like, "Oh, good thing that Dumbledore is around getting hot chocolate, or we wouldn't have found him." But yeah, the way Dumbledore says Minerva, because. Here, it says, another attack, said Dumbledore. Minerva found him on the stairs. Okay, so maybe how it happened is Minerva's going down the stairs because she has to pee. And um, she finds Colin Creevy on the ground and she's like, oh, fuck. And then she calls for assistance, whether that be sending her a spell that says, like, get the nearest teacher, huzzah. Or she just shouts, teacher, type thing. And Dumbledore heard her because he was walking by with his hot chocolate. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a continuity error, which is weird to have happen in this, like, in the same paragraph. Yeah, it's like, it's like, yeah, it's basically in the same, like, context. And I was just like, care hey, who who found who? Like, I, I get that one of them has to find it first and the other one just happened to be there. But I'm like, it can't be both of them. Yeah, absolutely. The way it's written it just doesn't make sense. So Dumbledore does, like, say that Dobby's right. He says the chamber of secrets has been opened again, and when they open Colin's camera, the film's been melted. So obviously, whatever is going on, it's like, it's the real deal, and McGonagall and Madame Palfrey are quite, they're quite unnerved. Yeah, they're taken aback. I think Dumbledore 100% wanted Harry to hear that. Like, I think he intentionally was, like, not being the quietest, and, like, because he he wants Harry to solve the mystery and get more experience fighting Voldemort and dealing with evil and all that jazz. So he's, like, intentionally sort of over-explaining. He isn't just saying, I guess it's happened. And he's like, I guess this thing with the Chamber of Secrets that we were talking about, about the Chamber of Secrets, I guess that's happened in that someone has opened the Chamber of Secrets again. As in, it's happened before, wink, wink. Sure hope no one's listening, Harry Potter, wink, wink, about the Chamber of Secrets being opened again, wink, wink. Classic Dumbledore. I think it's interesting that uh, McGonagall asks who could it be, and Dumbledore says not who, how, so he kind of knows. He Well, he obviously, he, he had a suspicion that Voldemort opened it when he's at school, and it was obviously wasn't Hagrid, so he's already kind of cluing in. It's obviously too much of a coincidence that Voldemort was there when it was opened is coincident. Is you know what I mean? That's too much. It's obviously Voldemort, kind of, or ninety eight percent likely that it was Voldemort, without having the proof and stuff. So then when he says how, I guess he's thinking, okay, Voldemort is 
dead-ish, how is he opening the Chamber of Secrets? It's interesting, though, because, because to, hypothetically, even though Voldemort did it last time, it doesn't mean another student couldn't be doing it now. I mean, there's got to be a lot of heirs of Slytherin. Like, they make it seem like it's rare and it's just him. But to me, if I'm, like, a pure-blood elitist, I'm going to have, like, a bunch of kids because then there's more pure-bloods or whatever. Is it, like, the whole thing where they don't count because they're bastards or something? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But, like, proper, like, to me, there's probably a couple different, even if he only had one kid. If Salazar had one kid and that kid had two kids, those kids are having kids. Like, family trees, they expand often. So, to me, it's like, it could very much be Voldemort's slightly dead and found a way to get this done nonetheless but there is still a chance that there's just another heir of Slytherin kicking around Hogwarts you know well technically Harry is kind of an heir of Slytherin because he has the Horcrux in him <laughs> moving on from the chapter discussion I just wanted to add this little um off-topic discussion here because uh Muggle Quidditch has officially changed its name to Quadball mm, I think they could have done better yeah I've asked my sister Brittany we had her on a couple episodes ago to talk about Muggle Quidditch, but uh, I feel like the name wasn't quite well received based on the groups that she's a part of. But um, I'll attach some links to some statements about it, and I guess we'll see, because the whole point of this is obviously to distance themselves from the author, but it's also ideally to get more sponsorships and more, I guess, just like um, broadcast opportunities, because I feel like the copyright really restricted them from the opportunities they were able to get. People start playing Quidditch. Like, Quidditch is an actual sport now. People are very serious about it that aren't even Harry Potter fans. Like, Lord knows when I went to tryouts and saw all those, like, big, burly football playing types at the tryouts, I was like, oh, shit, not what I thought. But I think some of the interest in the sports of Quidditch is going to come from, like, the Harry Potter world. And I feel like a name like Quadball, I mean, for anyone, but especially for, like, the fantasy nerds, does not sound tempting. Like, it's not descriptive, first of all, quad ball. Quad is in, like, field. Like, some people say, like, out on the quad. So, like, grassy patch. It is quad ball as in four balls, as there is four balls in play. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's cool, too, I guess. I feel like there's a way to make it still feel whimsical without touching copyright. I guess we'll see how the future of quad ball goes. All right, any closing remarks for the chapter? Yeah, my closing remarks are that Gildroy Lockhart should go to jail. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Potter Revisited. We'll be back next time to discuss Chapter 11 of Chamber of Secrets, The Dueling Club. And if you have any thoughts on today's episode or on future chapters or anything we've discussed on the podcast, you can email us at potterrevisitedpodcast at gmail.com or you can reach out on social media at Potter Revisited. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you.